Today we celebrate the epiphany that comes from the Greek that means to reveal something that was hidden. And what is God revealing to us on this epiphany? In the cradle of Bethlehem, God was revealing himself, the Word made flesh. God made man that he might make us more like him. Furthermore, God was revealing his son as a king, surrounded by other kings who have come to pay him homage, but also as a savior. And for who? Not just the Jewish people of Judah and Israel, but a savior for all the nations, because these men have come from afar. They're not Jewish. They're not circumcised. They never knew there was one God. They weren't made the promise of the covenant, but they believe lying in that manger is a savior for them as well. All these different revelations happening under the light of that star in that holy place. But these wise men, they didn't follow the light of the star directly from their home to Bethlehem. They took a little detour all their own. They went to the capital in Jerusalem for an audience with King Herod. And when they received an audience by the king, they insulted him. They showed no formality, no curtsy, no bow. They just said, where is the king of the Jews? Herod is thinking to himself, you're looking at him. And yet they know he is not the one they've traveled so far to see. Herod is insulted. He takes that title, King of the Jews, very personally. Why? Because he bought it. By the time Jesus was born, Herod the Great had been a king in Judah for 37 years. He never had much power because by the time he became the king, Israel and Judah had already been conquered by the Roman Empire and were occupied provinces for more than 25 years. He needed to be given that title, the king of the Jews, because he wasn't Jewish. And he thought, it'll be very hard for me to rule over these people if I don't share their race or their religion. And so he took a boatload of money, quite literally. He filled a boat with money and sailed it up to Rome, where he sought out the Roman Senate and asked them to make him the king of the Jews, as if it was theirs to give, but they'll take the money, and they did. And that was the title given to him. And then he spent the rest of his reign being paranoid that everybody was plotting to remove him from his kingship. So great was Herod's paranoia. He sent one of his wives into exile. He had one of his own brothers murdered. He had one of his own children killed. And so when he hears that there might be another competitor to his throne, even though it's a newborn baby, he has no moral problem or conscience keeping him from killing that child. And he thinks these wise men will fall into his trap and reveal the whereabouts of the Christ. <clears throat> well, that's his problem. But the three kings are done with him. They continue to follow the light that leads them right to Bethlehem, the city of David. And whereas with Herod, there was no formality, no curtsy or bow, as soon as these three wise men arrive at the manger, they don't just bow, they face plant on the dirty floor of that barn. They prostrate themselves, the ultimate sign of humility that man can make before another. Why? Because they realize they're in the presence of God, the presence of goodness, and the presence of greatness. Little could those wise men have known that they were fulfilling Jewish prophecy at every step of their journey. In the first reading, we heard it today, Isaiah chapter 60, words that were written more than 700 years before this message came to be fulfilled. The wise men would come from great distances and they would follow the light of the star. And in that manger, they would see light for the nations, a savior for them as well. And Isaiah even talked about the gifts they would offer. Gold, because they're in the presence of a king. Frankincense, because they're in the presence of a priest. Frankincense was used in heavy volume 
at the altar in the temple at Jerusalem. Why? Because on that altar, it was a bloody sacrifice. There were animals being slaughtered and burnt from dawn to dusk every day except on the Sabbath day. And thus, the entire temple was filled with the smell of roasting flesh, not exactly a holy scent. And thus, to mask the odor of the burning flesh, the priests used the incense and the flaming braziers all around that altar. And the people believed as the smoke of that incense rose up to God, so did their prayers. Gold because Jesus is a king, frankincense because he is a priest. But Isaiah didn't mention the third gift, and it seems very out of place in this impromptu baby shower that has begun to occur, and that is the myrrh. Myrrh was an ointment, but it wasn't used on the living, it was used on the dead. Myrrh was used to prepare a body for burial. Are these kings that wise that they understand that this child was born with one destiny in mind, born to die, that we might be set free? Reminding us yet again, the crib and the cross could have been cut from the same piece of wood. Well, these weren't the first people to arrive at the manger. We heard about that last Sunday on New Year's Day, Mary the mother of God. It was the middle of the second chapter of Luke, but it was the shepherds, the last people to know anything about anything. The last shall be first. They were called by Gabriel, even before kings, to come to the manger. And once they saw and adored, they went out to the villages to tell everyone else good news of our Savior's birth. A similar thing happens here. These wise men, they depart for their native land, but on a different path. That encounter with Christ has set them in a new trajectory. And we never hear about them again anywhere in the scriptures. But our Christian tradition suggests to us that they went back to their native lands in the Middle East, in the north of Africa, and told other people about a God in Israel who has come to save sinners free from every country, from every culture, and every century on every continent. The shepherds and the kings were the same. After the encounter with Christ, they went out to share that good news with other people. That's what the encounter with Christ is meant to do for all of us, to change our lives and then put us on a new path. But also once we have become disciples of the Lord, we are called to go and make disciples for him. And so this is it. Tomorrow at the 9 o'clock Mass, we'll celebrate the last feast of the Christmas season, the baptism of the Lord. And then these lights will be shut off and put away for another year. But when these lights go dim, the light of Christ is meant to be kept burning bright in all of us. And so as we conclude the Christmas season today, gifts are given. God gives the greatest gift, himself, his son, for us, for our forgiveness and for our salvation. But what can we give to him? We don't have gold and frankincense. We wouldn't even know where to find myrrh. But if God is giving us the gift of himself, maybe we can give him the gift of ourselves, the gift of our time, the gift of our talent, the gift of our treasure, perhaps even the gift of our fears, faults, failings, and sins. He came to take those anyway. What will the Lord give us in return? What he always gives us, love and mercy and second chances and the hope of heaven. Yes, my friends, on this Epiphany Day, wise men still seek him, and they do well to do so. And we, along with them, wish to follow that light of the star that will lead us not only to the manger, but one day to holiness and to heaven. At this time, I'd like to invite our catechumens and candidates from the RCIA to come forward for their dismissal.